This is Talk Radio. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We've got lots going on this morning, ladies and gentlemen, and we need your help to take the temperature of the nation. After the Freedom Day rehearsal yesterday, we know where we stand. Almost everyone now calling for more lockdowns, more restrictions and more controlling of the populace, the beleaguered populace that is us, is now in the box reserved for the overcautious, the risk-averse, the anxious and those who have very nice houses to isolate away from everybody else because the rest of us just want to get on with it, don't we? For heaven's sake, the cat is very much out of the bag. Tell us what you're seeing, tell us what you're hearing, and tell us if your entire attitude has now changed. I was wandering around London yesterday. It was very clear to me that there are more and more people who have just said, you know what? To hell with it. To hell with you, Boris. To hell with your restrictions. And to hell uh, with behaving uh, like some kind of, you know, ridiculous nanny state and the handmaid's tale. Walking around, not looking at anyone, keeping a mask over your face, covering your head, walking about five metres away from the person in front of you. No, no longer, I think you will find, are sensible people doing any of that. First up, we've got Ben Habib, Chairman of Unlocks and former Brexit Party MEP. I'll be asking him about his take on the lockdown, which I think is easing, not because the government wants it to ease, but because the people want it to ease. Uh, He's also going to be talking about the report for the Commons Education Committee that came out late last night, that white working class pupils are suffering more than any other group at the ages of five, at the ages of 16 and at the ages of 18 as well. The committee found that the phrase white privilege has never been more untrue. It's an absolute shocker, but of course, comes as no surprise to me because I've been telling you this for years. 0344 499 1000. Coming up later on, we'll be broaching the incredible story that emerged this weekend about the ghastly treatment being handed out to British people who are forced to quarantine in hotels after returning from abroad. And before you start jumping all over them, these are not people who are returning from abroad because they've been on holiday. They're either returning from abroad because they've been visiting sick relatives or they're returning from abroad because they had to go and see somebody or take somebody to another person. These are not people who are having a jolly, by the way. The food they're being presented with, though, is worse than anything served up in prison. The accommodation is anything but good enough for the enforced price of £1,700 per person. And it's all likely to come to an end in a couple of weeks anyway. Simon Calder will talk to us about that. But what exactly is the point? And why are the government allowing it to go on? There's, again, loads of people making loads of money out of this. And I'm afraid it's simply not good enough. If you've got a story, you want to hear it. 0344 499 1000. Coming up later on, we've also got an amazing tale about the BBC and how hopeless it has become. We are joined by Danny Kelly, a former presenter at BBC West Midlands, who will tell us a tale of woe about just how out of touch local BBC radio bosses actually are and why. They hate their own audience. We're joined by former England manager Glenn Hoddle as well, ahead of the final group games tonight for Gareth Southgate and, of course, Scotland, uh, with the COVID background cancelling out players even as we speak. Stuart Weir uh, will give the Scottish side of the story. And, of course, we've got Georgie Frost, we've got Kevin O'Sullivan on as well, and Donna Harvey from the US of A, all bringing their particular and unique perspectives to the show, uh, as you would expect, because we are, of course, the original. We are the best. We are talk radio, and we ain't going nowhere. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
Now, it's a much better looking day out there than it was yesterday. I mean, despite the rain, I did manage to go for a very nice lunch to the Oxford Tower, which was very, very well appointed, very well uh, attended. Lots of people there having a very good time. So I would just like to thank them uh, for charging me such a lot of money uh, that I now won't be able to go out for about a week. But that's the way it goes. You know, I don't expect favours. I don't expect freebies. Uh, I pay my way. And I also want to see the uh, hospitality sector bouncing back because that's what we're here for. Let us kick off, though, straight away with Ben Habib, chairman of Unlocked, former Brexit Party MEP, of course. Ben, a very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. Do you, like me, feel the sort of thrust of, uh, of, of sort of uh, optimism and the way that people are changing their attitudes towards the lockdown? It seems to me that a lot of people have now just gone, that's it, we're on. I think they have, and people, fewer and fewer people are wearing masks. You know, I went to my club this morning, and um, you're meant to wear your mask. It's ridiculous. You're meant to wear your mask as you walk in, but you can take it off the minute you're in the gym. Right. And um, people have been adhering to that third rule for, you know, months, but they're coming in now without their masks. And, and there's a kind of normalcy now about not wearing a mask, you know, I'm sure we've all felt this kind of embarrassment if we haven't had a mask on and others have. But I think we're beginning to get back to a position, I just feel it, where you don't feel so idiotic if you've got your mask off. You feel normal and you're not, be, you know, beheld by others as, as someone idiotic. So I think we are heading back to normal and I think people want it. Yes, I think so. Ben, we're just going to try and check your microphone because it's sounding a little bit uh, slightly off kilter. Uh, but so bear with us while we try and uh, just get a slightly better sound out of Ben's um, uh, devices there, because uh, we want to know what he thinks about a great many things this morning. And what particularly we want to know about uh, is a report uh, in the paper this morning about the Commons Education Committee, who last night basically issued a report saying that the white working class children of this country have been betrayed. Major social injustices have been going on. Uh, they've been f forgotten for, for generations. They've been neglected by teachers because of divisive concepts like white privilege. And I think it's uh, time to stand up and say, look, enough is enough. This is not about equality anymore. This is about actually the doing down of people because they're white. Now, let's not forget uh, the BBC only yesterday uh, were in hot water for putting out um, a, a, an advert for a job up in Scotland, uh, which white people could not apply for. Now, apparently they can get around the law by saying, oh, well, of course, you know, we are underrepresented in ethnic minority areas up in Scotland, which, of course, Scotland is underrepresented because there's not an awful lot of people up in Scotland uh, in the same way that there are in London, for example, who are from uh, black and minority ethnic backgrounds. But you cannot put an advert in, surely, any arena. Can you imagine if we put an advert here uh, at Talk Radio and say only white people could apply? Can you imagine that? I can't. Let's go back to Ben. I think we might fix the problem. Ben, sorry about that. Yeah, can you hear me now, mate? Yes, that's better. There was just a little crackling on the line there, which I, I just wanted to try and eradicate. Let's talk a little bit about this uh, education report, uh, which is out this morning, in which we are told, basically, that teachers have used such divisive concepts for so long now that actually the people who are suffering the most in our schools in this country are the white working class. Now, I've been banging this particular drum for a couple of years now. Uh, finally, the Commons Select Committee on Education uh, has agreed with me. Well, I was delighted to see their report. I mean, you do not get over racial division by incessantly referring to it, which is effectively what critical race theory is. Mm. And just to remind listeners, you know, the idea behind it is this, if you're white, you're automatically privileged. You have some kind of privilege that comes with your skin color. And to teach children that is to basically be telling white children 
that there's something inherently advantageous about being white and therefore wrong and telling colored children or BAME or whatever they want to call them, uh, children, that actually they're victims. Mm. Either way, it's a totally unhealthy way to bring children up. The way I was brought up, and I imagine you were, Mike, was that we were told to be colorblind. Yeah. It doesn't matter what ethnic background you're from. What matters is the contribution you're going to make to society, what kind of person you are. That's what matters. Better yourself. Don't incessantly look over your shoulder and claim victimhood if you happen to be from Bangladesh or Pakistan. I mean, it's it's absurd. Well, exactly. I mean, maybe it's time some of these white, underprivileged working class kids started claiming victimhood on the grounds that they're white because they've got more claim to it, apparently, now uh, than anyone. Yeah. I mean, there's a huge underclass of white people that is overlooked by government. And I'm not going to digress, but, you know, if you look at the unemployment figures, they look pretty healthy. Mm. In fact, there's a, unemployment figures only um, count those who are actively looking for a job. But there are swaths of people in the north of England, uh, in Scotland, in Northern Ireland, who, who are white and not even looking for a job. They've just been overlooked by the system. This is this. These are the people that Boris Johnson should be focusing on for his levelling up agenda. So I completely agree with you. Being white, it is no privilege in this country. Certainly not anymore. No. And I mean, I'm particularly interested in this, Ben, because as you do, I, I've got two children uh, who are teenagers, 16 and 14, who will be looking for jobs at some point in the next five or so years, I dare say, in one way or another. Um, and I'm concerned that they will be prevented from getting certain jobs because of the colour of their skin. Yeah, well, there's definitely an inbuilt prejudice in the system. You know, when they talk about systemic racism, as you're rightly indicating, Mike, the racism actually is aimed at white people. It's for the promotion of minorities to the detriment of what they regard as the white majority. And you see that with Sadiq Khan repeatedly. Yes. You know, he wants 40% of the Met to be from ethnic backgrounds. Well, actually, 86% of people in London are white. So mm. on what basis is he promoting this agenda? Right. You know, why... Is he giving an unfair advantage to certain people because of their skin colour? That is racism. Yeah. And as we saw with the divisiveness of the taking of the knee by England players and Gareth Southgate's ludicrous kind of videos and, and you know, speeches about why anyone who opposes it is somehow racist. Um, you know, an awful lot of this um, separation technique, as I call it, has actually caused people to become more racist, hasn't it? It, it, it has, absolutely. You know... I was in a very happy place, actually, growing up in this country. I never once felt that there was any prejudice against me. But I feel the weight of prejudice much more now because of this apparent attempt by people trying to teach critical race theory, this attempt to bolster minorities at the expense of the white majority, mm. the white ethnic um, majority that were, you know, indigenous to this island, for goodness sake. And... It's just completely wrong. I and mean, if people want to take the knee at football, you know, the football match, as ridiculous as I think it is, fair enough, take the knee. But for goodness sake, allow people to boo as well. That yeah. is their right to object. And I would boo it because I think it's entirely wrong to be promoting the ideology of BLM, which is an anarchist, socialist, anti-capitalist movement mm. designed to hit the very foundations of our beliefs in the United Kingdom. That's what that movement is. And if I were to see the English football team taking the knee, 
I would think it's wrong. I wouldn't stop them from doing it, but I would certainly do them. Yeah, but isn't it fascinating, Ben, that UEFA yesterday came out uh, and investigated Manuel Neuer, uh, the German goalkeeper, for wearing um, a rainbow armband uh, in support of the LGBT community uh, in case it might be political. But they haven't bothered to investigate, you know, the England team to work out whether or not their taking of the knee is in any way political. I mean, the whole thing is just ridiculous, isn't it? It'll be just chucked out of court. It's absurd. Yeah, it really is. We're still going to uh, try and fix that microphone of yours. Ben, stay with us. We're going to stop for a moment. Uh, ben Habib is with us, chairman of Unlocked, a former Brexit Party MEP. We're talking about this report from the Common Select Committee on Education, in which it says uh, that basically white underclass, working class people are the most underrepresented, the most underachieving and the most prejudiced against group of all time. It's extraordinary. This is Talk Radio. This is Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB+, and on the Talk Radio app. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We're talking to Ben Habib, chairman of Unlocked, former Brexit Party MEP, of course, as well. Ben, um, welcome back. Um, we've got a few other things to uh, to discuss. I mean, obviously, we've got the football coming up tonight. Another kind of mockery, if you like, of the sort of the, 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 the rules. It would seem that if you're a Scottish football player and you test positive for COVID, uh, none of the rest of your teammates have to worry. But two people who might play have played a bit close to you when they were playing for England might have to self-isolate. I mean, it's kind of madness now, isn't it? Well, we've got to stop. Um, we've got to stop all these COVID restrictions as, for, as soon as possible. We've got to get back to normal. You know, we started the program on it and people are fed up. The whole point about the vaccination program, we were told, was, was once it was rolled out, that would be the end of uh, the COVID restrictions, mm. that we would go back to life as it was. We have herd immunity in this country. We have got it. And we cannot live in perpetual fear of a variant that is somehow immune to the virus, uh, to the vaccination. So we, you know, two English players not being allowed to play football is um, just symptomatic of how we've become entirely intolerant of the coronavirus. It's a disease which, you know, unlike any other disease, we're not prepared to tolerate in any shape or form. Mm. We've got this kind of zero tolerance to coronavirus. And um, I don't agree with much of what Theresa May says, but she was very good in the comments the other day when she said the prime minister actually has to be honest with the people and explain that there will be deaths every year, probably in perpetuity from coronavirus, just like there are from yeah. flu. Well, and, it's, it's um, interesting, isn't it? Diseases. The numbers are so insignificant now that the Telegraph hasn't even got them on the front page anymore. I mean, I think, I, no. think, I think I'm right in saying this is the first day since the start of the pandemic that they haven't actually got that little box with all the, uh, with all the statistics in it. Yeah. I and, mean, you know, it's, it's, not a, it's not about how many people have been exposed to it or how many people have tested positive. It's about how many people are developing symptoms and how many of those are ending up in hospital. Actually, the only job government should be aiming to do is making sure the NHS operates. And actually a year and a half into the pandemic, you would have thought that actually the NHS would be able to now cope even if there was significant infections and illness from it. You know, we've had a year and a half of government to get this thing sorted. They built all those Nightingale hospitals. They never used them. They've decommissioned them. And now there are mutterings that if there's a rise in coronavirus disease during the autumn, uh, you know, winter months that we might have lockdowns again. No, 
That's just a failure in government. Mm. They can't claim that they were unaware of the pandemic. We've had it for over a year. The NHS should now be fit for purpose. We should go back to normal. Footballers who've been vaccinated and come into contact with other footballers who happen to test positive shouldn't have to self-isolate. They should just play. Yeah. Exactly right. It just makes no sense whatsoever. And again, uh, we're told that, uh, um, you know, the stadium at Wembley is going to be more full uh, for the quarterfinals and very possibly for the final than it is now. We've seen what's going on in Hungary. We've seen um, Denmark playing yesterday to a pretty much a full capacity stadium. And people are moaning, saying, oh, well, yeah, but they've all had to prove they've had two jabs. Well, you have to prove that to go to Wembley. So why can they not just fill it? Yeah, just fill it. Absolutely. Get on with it. And... Yeah, get on with, you know, and you don't actually need this vaccination passport system. The government knows that two thirds of the adult population have been vaccinated. That's that's herd immunity. Yeah, right. So just take so just take everybody's word for it. Right. And if you want to go to a a, a massive sporting event, uh, having not been vaccinated and you wish to take that particular risk, then let people take the risk, for God's sake. Absolutely. Put the risk, the onus of your self-responsibility back on the self, yeah. back onto people. It's not for government to micromanage our health. Absolutely right. One final question for you, Ben. Um, a big debate going on at the moment, and some say that uh, the planning laws were responsible for the, uh, the, the by-election result in Cheshire and Amersham. Um, a lot of talk about building more homes, why we have to, where we must build them, where we must not build them. I mean, you know a thing or two about property. Um, what's your kind of um, suggestion that we should do to, to, to enable more people to be able to get affordable housing and for other people just to be able to live in places where uh, there are enough facilities for them, schools, hospitals, all of that? Yeah, well, um, the biggest problem with housing and government response to the lack of it has been that instead of improving supply, government has typically actually boosted demand mm. and they sell it as if they're helping you get on the housing ladder. But all these cheap loans and government finance to help banks make, you know, lend out mortgages, that only boosts demand. That actually makes it more difficult in the long term for people to get on the ladder. What the government needs to do is to increase supply. And, and, and part of that has to be through the planning system. But there's a huge amount of brownfield sites, not greenfield sites, but brownfield sites that could be brought into use very quickly. It won't surprise you to know, Mike, that even though the government talks about the need for planning reform, it's going for the easy option. It's going for the greenfield sites and it's not deregulating the complex process of bringing brownfield sites into different uses. Mm. In, and in this case, residential use. So there are huge hurdles you have to go through in order to get planning permission to convert an office block, for example, into residential. And they need to cut all of that all of that bureaucracy so that as office blocks which are now going to be less used as a result of you know working from home and all those changing practices those those office blocks those redundant properties can be brought into the residential market yeah but i think the amisham and chesham situation is very convenient isn't it for the conservative party to blame hs2 and to blame planning yeah two issues you know, but actually not take responsibility for a falling level of general pop, uh, popularity. And we've had a year and a half of government now uh, in this pandemic. We've had a year and a half of lockdowns. We've had a year and a half of our liberties taken away. We've had government debt go up by 33%. We've had GDP collapse by 
we've got 4 million people still on furlough. These may be some of the reasons why the good folk of Amersham and Cheshire have decided to, you know, give Boris Johnson a bloody nose at the, mm. at, at the polling stations. Yes, that obviously hasn't occurred to him because he thinks he's the world's most popular man, but he may find out that that's not entirely the case. Ben, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Ben Habib, chairman of Unlocked, former Brexit Party MEP, another great voice of common sense on all subjects, which is why we love to get people like Ben on this show, because what we need to do is try to engender uh, this government to try and enforce uh, common sense upon them because they have clearly lost the plot when it comes to common sense. I mean, you know, who can tell me what the rules for COVID actually now are? Who can say what you're supposed to do if your child comes home uh, having been sent there by the school to say that he has to self-isolate? Who can say what you then have to do or what your sibling, his siblings have to do, what his sister has to do, what his brother has to do, what your mother has to do? Nobody knows anymore. It's a waste of time. And this whole stramash with England and Scotland, have uh, nobody has a clue what's going on there. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Right now, though, let us go to our guru of travel, Mr Simon Calder, travel editor of The Independent, who we haven't seen for a while on this show. Simon, a very good morning to you. Uh, good morning, yes, from uh, London, England. I've just been actually tracking, Mike, uh, the uh, uh, fortunes of London's biggest airports. Um, Heathrow began the uh, crisis as the busiest in, in Europe. It's mm. now slipped to 17th. Oh, really interestingly, if you track the vaccine rollout and you track the passenger numbers and the position in the uh, European League, the more people we vaccinate, the worse Heathrow gets. And poor old Gatwick used to be in the top 10. It's now 106. Mm. And this is all because people don't want you to go travelling, Mike. Well, this is the trouble, uh, isn't it? You and I have I had mean, many... nothing personal. No, no, nothing personal well, at all. Well, there are some people that want me to get the hell out of here uh, so they don't have to see me here so I can go somewhere else. But, you know, it's a complicated equation. But here's the thing, Simon. Um, it seems to me that the government doesn't want us to go anywhere. They've made it more and more difficult for people to go anywhere. And yet now we're seeing on the front page of The Times this morning that they're thinking of doing away with the quarantine rules altogether. We've just been talking to uh, a young lady who had a terrible time uh, in the Russell Square Hotel in which she was quarantining uh, because the food was ghastly. You would have seen some of this stuff over the course of the last few days. Um, and they seem to be getting this all wrong, don't they? Well, um, it's no surprise that the government is looking at, well, could we possibly, because we keep telling everybody how fantastically successful the vaccine uh, programme is mm. and how effective the vaccines are. Tell you what, we could actually reduce the 10 days of self-isolation that anybody coming back from France, Spain, Italy, Greece, the US needs to do. Um, and that would kind of improve the fortunes of the uh, travel industry, which is on the point of collapse. But the thing is, I was writing about other countries doing this in early February. Mm. Um, Estonia and Georgia said, Mike, if you want to come over, if you've had your jabs, and we know you're a young fellow, so it won't be for many months. Much. But if you want to, when you've had your jabs, that's fine. No quarantine, because we know that you pr will present a lower risk. Mm. And uh, the, the fact that they're now saying, actually, we could do this, um, but we're not in actually any hurry to do it, shows that it's really just a kind of campaign against international travel. Yes. You can walk out of your studio and go anywhere you want to in the world, Mike, um, without quarantine, as long as it's uh, Gibraltar or Iceland. Yes, but this is the thing. I was going to ask you this question, because there was uh, all sorts of measures put in. For example, if I wanted to fly to New York tomorrow, uh, I was supposed to show some kind of uh, evidence that I had to go there for one reason or another, either for business or for something. Do you still have to do that? No, you don't. But the government has really confused everybody. So if you go You're telling back... telling me. Uh, <laughs> if, if you go back to the 17th of May, that was when um, 
the ban on international leisure travel, which had been going on for 19 weeks, came to an end. Two days later, the prime minister said, well, obviously, you shouldn't go to any country other than a green country. Mm. Um, and uh, it's essential travel only. It's not. You can go to India. I mean, there's a flight this afternoon. You can fly off to Delhi. Mike, I'm not suggesting you do. Yes, it's a very fine city. Issue. I've been there already. It's a lovely place. I wouldn't mind yeah. going back. Oh, sure. But, but perhaps not right now. No. Anyway, there is nothing to stop you going. But when you come back, you will face very, very heavy restrictions. And worth pointing out that the Labour Party doesn't think the restrictions are tight enough. They want Malta and France and Spain and Greece and Italy added to the rest. Yeah, nobody cares what they think, though, Simon. So, I mean, you might as well, you might as well not mention them. You might as well tell me what, uh, you know, Charlie Chaplin thinks about the, the rules. I mean, about as popular as he is. What about um, uh, this this story, though, that they will lift the quarantine? In what, how imminent is that? There's a lot of talk that oh, July the 5th might be a date that we get some kind of action. There's all sorts of talk about days when you might get some action. But the thing is, the summer is already being destroyed in terms of outbound tourism. Um, in Glasgow, in two days' time, the schools break up mm. at lunchtime. It's right. summer already. And um, they, they can go to well pretty much anywhere they want to in the UK, apart from kind of what, what you and I... Uh, quaintly used to call Lancashire. Yes. Um, yeah, Manchester uh, they, apparently is a no-go area for Scottish people. I, I can't imagine yes. why. Well, it, it is, and and Bolton and Salford and Blackburn as well. While we're we're, we're naming them, um, and uh, similarly, if you were in any of those areas and you wanted to go to Scotland, well, you can't. Mm. Um, so so there's there's uh, restrictions in place, but overseas travel is is effectively um, well uh, to show you how desperate the airlines are the last throw of the dice for easyjet was let's launch new flights from from liverpool for the summer mm. now in a normal year you and i would be thinking oh is it going to go to the azores is it going to go to marrakesh mm. or mykonos or something no it's going to bournemouth <laughs> yeah um, well i mean bournemouth's nice but i wouldn't want to fly there particularly well, if you lived in Liverpool, I mean, I suppose it gets you around the, M the M27 nightmare because it is a terrible road there. But, you know, so if I was to look at, you know, one of those plane maps that you see where all the planes are all over the, the various different countries. Would I see Europe, yeah. uh, mainland Europe, as a complete morass of planes and Britain as yeah. hardly any? Oh, oh, yes, absolutely. Um, just in the past hour, the boss of Eurocontrol, which is the kind of main air traffic control place, uh, for, for Europe has just tweeted out, yeah, we saw uh, Italy up 28%, France up 21%. Everyone's improving. Oh, except the UK down 3% mm. last week. Yeah. It is, uh, uh, it, it is exactly the opposite of a vaccine dividend. It's, mm. um, uh, what's the opposite of a dividend? Uh, I think it's uh, the whatever the opposite of Croesus was. You know the ancient, uh, the ancient. I used to say that everything he touches turns to gold. In this case, it's the complete uh, reverse. Yes. But you know what's interesting is that you know there doesn't appear to be uh, any sort of cogent plan going on. And I know this is not going to come as any great piece of breaking news to you, Simon, but <laughs> they seem to sort of go from day to day. I mean, you oh. know, nobody can book a holiday. No tra travel company can know what's coming next. I mean, it's ridiculous. Well, well no, it's not. It's, it's very simply just mirrors what's happening in the, um, the COVID uh, O, uh, which is the, um, the, the big meeting that they're going to be having on Thursday morning about mm. this. And probably leaks will start coming out during your programme in the nicest possible sense. Yes. Um, uh, and uh, so you've got effectively three people on one side, and that is um, uh, Michael Gove, Cabinet Secretary, Priti Patel, the uh, Home Secretary, and Matt Hancock, the Health Secretary, and none of them want any international travel at all. Uh, going abroad is bad. People coming into the UK is bad. 
that's where they're going. Then you've got on the other side, Rishi Sunak, who sort of says, actually, you know, aviation and travel, that used to be quite important. Mm. And, um, you know, if you're going to make all those people out of work, they're going to want um, uh, universal credit and they won't be paying tax. So maybe we could rescue that. And the um, transport secretary, whose job apparently is protecting the travel industry. Anyway, um, the, the, the last two keep getting outvoted. Um, and uh, that's probably what's going to happen again. So uh, uh, there's no no appetite whatsoever for international travel. And it kind of goes back to the terror that we're going to have a repeat of the Delta variant, mm. where if you if you delay for long enough, um, closing the borders to particular threats that you know about, then it's going to be a disaster. Um, and uh, so this is, as, as you kind of often see in these things, it's a huge overreaction, yes. which is causing endless damage, not just to people like me who wants to go on holiday, um, and you. I mean, we, we yeah, but it's, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not having it's, it anymore, Simon, that these people say, oh, just because you want to go on holiday. No, these are businesses that are thriving businesses that were once massive, massive net contributors to this Chancellor of the Exchequer's Treasury uh, in taxes that are paid and in jobs that are created. I mean, I, I'm not buying this nonsense anymore that, you know, we're just selfish because we want to go abroad. No, we want tourists to come here as well. We want hotels to oh. be full. You know, I'm sick of it. Well, well, no, I mean, they, they have destroyed the inbound tourism industry yeah. as a sort of collateral damage. But they will say, well, of course, um, you know, th those people will go on holiday in the UK. Uh, look, everybody in the UK wants to go to Cornwall or mm. the Lake District. They do not want to go to Stratford-on-Avon. They don't want to spend 500 quid a night in five-star hotels in London. That's what overseas tourists coming in do. So it doesn't... Yeah. It's not a direct substitute at all. But I was just going to mention, of course, yeah, we're here, here we are talking about holidays and the economy. Of course, emotion comes into this as well. There are so many people who've been separated from their mm. loved ones for over a year. Yeah. They are just desperate to well, travel. Well, I'm one of them. And they can't. I mean, yes, I, I know. You know, I keep yeah. expecting there to be some form of opening up, and I don't know whether you can give me any hope of anything today, Simon. Right. But if you well, can, here's your US. final, here's my final offer to you is to cheer me up with some news about an American-England uh, corridor. Uh, well, unfortunately, um, Joe Biden is no fan of the Delta variant, and he's already tweeted about the danger it's posing for the UK. Yeah, that was a while ago, so, though, wasn't so, it? So, sorry. That well, was, yeah, that was, but, before, that was before he came here, and he didn't uh, seem to yeah. mind. He didn't seem to mind about the Delta variant when he's putting his arm around uh, Emmanuel Macron. Well, steady on. He's French, isn't he? Well, well he obviously. is, but I mean, he, yeah. he, but I mean, you know, all these political leaders who tell us all we can't do anything, uh, then go yeah. off and do all the things that tell, they tell yeah. us we can't do. Uh, I'm sick of them uh, as well. Oh, look, I'm, I'm going to mark your card for early August and I will hope to see you at the airport then. But I mean, frankly, uh, that that depends on the US being put on the amber list. And at the moment, um, I, I, one has absolutely no idea if the government's going to follow the data that it says it's mm. following. And so all bets are off, I'm afraid. Mm. Mike. You've depressed me, Simon. I'm never having you on again until you can tell me some good news. Simon Calder, travel editor of The Independent. Uh, it's just so, just awful, isn't it? What, you know, everyone's flying around in Europe. We're not flying anywhere, apart from, from Liverpool to Bournemouth. Brilliant. Marvellous. Fantastic. And it's not about holidays, right? It's about seeing relatives. It's about travelling uh, for educational purposes. It's about work. It's about all manner of things. But what it isn't about uh, is these maniacs uh, in Downing Street who don't want anyone to go anywhere. That might be all right for Matt Hancock. I wouldn't want him to go anywhere either. I'd just like him to get out of Downing Street, for heaven's sake. This is Talk Radio. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips and adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. There is only one thing to do, uh, and that is now to introduce you uh, to Mr. Danny Kelly, a radio presenter who used to work for the BBC but doesn't anymore. Danny, uh, a very, very good morning to you. Welcome. And a very good morning, Mike. And thanks very, very much, much indeed for, for joining me. us. Now, Danny, tell us a little bit about your career. Tell us a little bit about how you worked for the BBC uh, and tell us a little bit about why you no longer work for the BBC. Well, I, I had a varied career, really, at the BBC. I presented a number of shows. My, the last four or five years, I, I presented a very successful mid-morning show. Um, we had like 8% market share at one point, Mike, which, as you know, that's really quite high for a local radio station with so many stations and competitors out there and unfortunately in the last five or six years to borrow a, a very common term nowadays i believe the station has gone completely 100 percent woke and it's ignored and almost sacrificed and abandoned our core audience who are you know we live in a conservative a small c conservative region we're very brexity uh, we've got a conservative mayor we've got conservative councils everywhere conservative mps in what were labor strongholds and I believe that the station struggled ideologically to actually cater for those people. And I believe that they've abandoned the core audience. And what makes me so particularly sad about the situation, Mike, it's not about me and my job. I'm, I'm not financially dependent on anybody. I'm not beholden to anybody either. But what makes me sad, Mike, is that I, I was told that they no longer, you used the word hate earlier. The word I would use is that they don't care about their older audience, Mike. So long as people in their 70s and 80s tick the rage our audience quarterly figures, you know, that you and I depend on, yeah. then they, they take them for granted. They call them legacy listeners, Mike, which I find offensive. Mm. And I, I'm not in my 70s and 80s. What they mean by that is that it doesn't matter what, what sort of garbage they put out on air. They know that people in their 70s and 80s are still going to give WM the hours that they crave, 30 hours a week, and they'll tick the box. And they've abandoned them. They won't let them on air, Mike. Um, 
So what? So what do they say to you as you're as you're a presenter? I mean, do they do they specifically say that, or do they sort of hint at it? What do they? Oh, what do no, they say? No, no. no, no, they say that, Mike. Uh, they won't say it in public, but they say they don't want old sounding voices on air. Now, mm. these old sounding voices, Mike. You know, if they're in their seventies and eighties, it doesn't mean that they're not coherent. It means that some of them are razor sharp, and it should be a meritocracy. People should be allowed on air on the quality of what they've got to say, not on their age. So what they do say is, and they say this to everyone, they don't want old-sounding people on the radio because it's going to not attract the next generation of more youthful listeners. And, and that's on record. If, if They won't say it in public, but it's on record. Mm. Everybody knows it, Mike. And, and these people pay their licence fee. Well, exactly. they still have to pay. It's like the BBC want the £157.50 off them, but they don't want their opinions. Yes, it's a shocking state of affairs because also, if it wasn't for the people who are probably over the age of 60 or so, uh, they wouldn't have a BBC licence exactly. fee fund because young people yeah. are not buying licences. I meet more and more people every day, Danny, uh, who have basically said, we don't pay the licence. My kids who are teenagers don't watch the BBC, certainly don't listen to any local radio output. And I've been banging on about this for a long time. That There's over 63 or four, I think, different local BBC radio stations. And what they've done is they've killed off local media. They've killed off local newspapers because they're just such a huge kind of behemoth and they've all got all the money. And only, uh, I mean, I, I tried to, uh, to start up a, a radio station, a speech radio station in Edinburgh, but we couldn't succeed with it commercially because of BBC Scotland. Yeah, Mike, listen, what's so what's again saddening is that I, I hear my old callers on your show, mate. And the reason that they've migrated to talk radio mm. and, and your great show is because you're not afraid to cover certain talking points. I'll give you some examples, Mike. Yeah. Uh, Shamima Begum, uh, the first story four years ago, they didn't want me to cover it. Reason right. being is that they didn't want the type of bigoted, quote unquote, racists who were going to call in. I've said to my station editor, for the last few years, we need to define as a station what racist means. Yes. Just because they hold different views to you doesn't mean that they're racist. No. Another example, Gary Lineker. But isn't that just also, some... just to interrupt you for a second, Dan, Sorry, isn't no. that why we are in this terrible state in Britain? Because uh, because you might not think it's a good idea to bring a young woman back from a refugee camp in a war-torn country because she took part in uh, some very violent behaviour with an outlawed terrorist group. That makes you a racist. I mean, hello. Oh. Mike, it's crazy, but but unfortunately, the, the 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 management at the BBC, you are by default, unfortunately, classed as a racist. And I was banging my head mm. against the wall so many times. People wouldn't get on air, Mike. And when I used to buzz through to the ops room saying, "Why ain't he coming on air?" They would they would say, "Well, he's talking about immigration. Uh, he's got a problem with Eastern Europeans. He's racist." No, he's not racist. All he's got, he lives in a different world to the management who don't want them on air because they don't want these quote-unquote bigoted racists on air. And that's why they've gone to successful talk shows like yourself, mate. Mm. Honestly, mate, I could cry. I know. It's a shocking state of affairs because, Danny, I mean, you've been a fine broadcaster for a long time. You know, 10 years ago when they when they had you working there, you had a very popular uh, show. You the, the people loved you. I mean, you're obviously, I mean, I know your brother quite well. I mean, you're much nicer than he is, I have to say. You know, he's the you. editor of the New European. But the point is, is that, you know, you have got an audience and now they've taken that audience away quite, quite deliberately because they don't like their own audience. Yeah, I, I think, look, uh, again, going back to like or hate or my 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 words would be care. They definitely don't care. They are obsessed, Mike, with a, a, a youthful, diverse audience. Now, my boss said that he's under pressure from his boss from London to have a lineup that represents the city. Now, my boss said the lineup, the schedule is too old and too white. He's also said the listeners are too old and too white. 
and again, well, this is this is why I feel so sorry for the listeners. They can't help getting old. They can't help being born with the colour white in, 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 with their um, with their birth, and they're too old and too white. They're desperate for a younger, more diverse audience. That's going to be reflected, I believe, in the coming weeks and months with a more diverse mm. audience. They've just got rid of another lad. Um, they've just ditched uh, another middle-aged white fella off breakfast. He's right. gone back to sports. He was a great broadcaster. So what they're doing, and also what they're doing normally, Mike, you don't make wholesale changes no. at once because the listeners can't cope and they go elsewhere. But what they said to me is that they're going to make wholesale changes whilst there's no radar. Mm. So that by the time that radar <laughs> comes back, then hopefully things will have bedded in. Well, it won't, though. Won't it? I mean, it won't because it's a steady decline. I mean, again, I've said this many times. We've got um, down here in the southeast. We've got BBC Kent. We've got BBC Sussex. BBC Surrey. Yeah. Three separate radio stations, all employing separate staffs, all employing different presenters. Um, that can't last forever, can it? They need to start. I mean, whenever the BBC are told to make some cuts, why don't they just shut two of those stations and make it, you know, BBC Southeast or something? Well, Mike, listen, I'm I have a lot of friends there, and I'm conflicted because I don't want to see anyone on the dole. Um, I, I believe that the management have made some awful decisions and they're doubling down with this. You wouldn't mind things. seeing some of the management on the doll, I would imagine. Well, look, Mike, I, I'm, I'm not vindictive, believe it or not. Um, I, I think the fact that I've got this message out is, is as much, if you like, quote-unquote revenge that they could ever think of mm. because they've just ditched a radio presenter who's not financially dependent on them. Normally, when radio presenters get ditched by the BBC, they stay stumped, they behave, they're good little boys or girls because they want some cover work and maybe a new gig yeah. at a local radio station like BBC Coventry, which is closer to me than Birmingham anyway. Now, my, my morals, uh, my morals, sorry, Mike, are, are more important and getting the message out about how old people are treated mm. and thought of than me thinking, well, keep your mouth shut, Dan, because you may get some cover work. It's yeah. more important to me that people know the truth. Yeah. So what are you going to do? I see you've got a little nice uh, sea, seaside background there, Danny. You're, you're down on the south coast, I think, aren't you? Well, I, I think if I just move to my left, a couple of your 90-foot sunseekers should come into view, Mike. <laughs> Very <laughs> <And> good. <laughs> so, yeah, we're in Plymouth. I thought that would take everyone away. And um, you try getting somewhere which is a four-story penthouse with a, with a rooftop terrace overlooking a harbour. You try and get that cheap in the current <laughs> supply and demand market in the United Kingdom. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, absolutely right. And I mean, the thing I find fascinating, Danny, is we talk about the BBC all the time. We talk to an organisation called Defund the BBC all the time. Um, and we tell people the problem for the BBC is not that it's diverse, because whenever they say we're going to make it more diverse and we're going to hire more presenters uh, who might have got a different um, colour skin to the people that we used to have, they're all still terribly middle class, aren't they? And the great yeah. thing, Danny, about about talking to guys like yourself, you've got real life experience. You know, you're not one of these, you know, people that's just been to university, come out, no. been a you know production assistant and then no. somehow ended up on the air. Yeah. The, the problem with the BBC, Mike, is that they keep employing people like themselves in management. So they are typically, if you like, left footed, liberal, mm. middle class, no real connection with the gritty reality of what our target audience should be, right. which are, I, I don't know what the, the code word is, 2C deals. I don't know what they're called, but they're white working class people in, in estates around Birmingham and Wolverhampton, and they're in their mid-40s. Uh, and they don't want to hear, Mike, you won't believe this, mate, just to show how out of touch one of the last bosses was. She actually interrupted my show so that we could take live the call to prayer on air. Oh. It, it is unbelievable. But if you question that, 
then they'll say, what's wrong with you? How, are you an Islamophobe? Yeah. I said, no, but our audience read the Daily Mail. They don't read The Guardian. Right. What's wrong with you? Right. But also, you know, it's a ludicrous idea. I mean, you wouldn't play the church bells on a Sunday morning, would you? Or if you did, uh, you well, should. Um, but well, then you should play all, you know, maybe you should go to the local synagogue on a Saturday and play something from there. Yeah. I mean, they're petrified of their own skin, mate. You know, and the weird thing was, uh, Mike, and, and no, they've got rid of me. And I, I'm a freelancer. The rest are staff, so they're, they're always going to get rid of freelancers first. The weird thing is, mate, I had the most diverse bunch of people ring into my show. I, I've never had so many Mohammeds call my show. I was the most popular guy amongst taxi drivers in the West Midlands. And we had West Indians and we had, of course, old white people, which, yeah. of course, they were no But that's the other thing, Danny, that they make, they, mis- they make the mistake of thinking that, that the Mohammeds that are driving the taxis uh, and, and the Wolverhampton guy uh, who's been living there all of his life because he was born there, he just happens uh, to not be white. They all supposedly think in a different way. and They don't, they don't read The Guardian either. No, they don't. And, and they're obsessed with bringing a line up to the station that represents the demographics of the West Midlands. Mm. But I'm sorry, but if you go and ask people of West Indian heritage and uh, Indian subcontinent heritage, whether they want to see someone with black or brown skin um, presenting a show, they'll say, no, I'm more interested in the content of what comes out Mm. of their mouth rather than the the particular voice. Yes. And it's very condescending, I think, for the BBC to operate like this. And it's got to end in tears, isn't it? Well, I mean, listen, uh, BBC WM is disproportionately losing the most amount of listeners of any BBC local radio station. For the last six audience sweeps, Mike, Mike, we've gone down and down and down and down and down. And we're on an all-time record. And and the bosses, rather than being thoroughly ashamed about it, they're doubling down with their stupidity about what they believe our audience wants. It's almost like conversion therapy, Mm. Mike. It's It's like our bosses want our audience to feel certain ways about certain stories and they've just voted with their feet mate mm. well i'm very glad that you've managed to push a load of them over my way danny so thank you very much for that and uh, <laughs> next time you're in london i'll buy you lunch thanks very much indeed good to talk to you have a great holiday uh, danny kelly reporting in to us from plymouth uh, from the rooftop uh, place that he's got down there uh, imagine being kicked out of bbc west midlands because the wokists think that he's not the right face any longer for radio you see what I did there? The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Well, it broke on my show yesterday, the news uh, basically that um, uh, Billy Gilmore, one of the Scottish uh, players, number 23 uh, in the game against England, tested positive for COVID. Uh, it then sort of threw everybody into a bit of a tailspin. Nobody was sure precisely what was going to happen next. It now turns out that two England players uh, have also now been told they can't play uh, in their game tonight against the Czech Republic. Let's say a very uh, good afternoon to Glenn Hoddle, former England manager glenn a very good afternoon to you hello mike how are you doing very good i hope you're well yeah very well indeed i must say i'm really enjoying the euros actually i don't know whether it's because we've been sort of starved i found it quite difficult to watch an awful lot of football without the crowds that we've had uh, uh, over the course of the last season i watched the champions league final enjoyed that but i'm really liking the uh, the euros tournament i think there's been some great games there's been some great goals um and some real drama yeah, it's it's it started really well, hasn't it? And I think the refereeing's been good as well. But yeah. yeah, one of one of the main things is having having fans in the stadium, isn't it? It's wonderful mm. uh, to have that little bit of atmosphere, as we saw England Scotland game particularly was was really uh, really good atmosphere, even though there was what twenty two thousand yeah. in the stadium or so. Yeah, so yeah, it, it, it's it started well this tournament. I think for England's sake, 
it's going to get better and better because I don't think we've we've any you know played anywhere near how well we no. can. I mean, as, as, as you know better than anyone, Glenn, there is this terrible kind of um, roller coaster ride that everybody gets on uh, because, you know, the first game against Croatia, suddenly England were world beaters. They're going to win everything and fantastic. <laughs> and then they play against Scotland. Not such a great result, uh, but it's an OK result. But then, you know, we're now the worst team in history. But the truth is the four points will ensure that England qualify. And last yeah. night, sure enough, that was confirmed. This is quite unusual for us because normally we're we're all sitting on the edge of our seats, mm. uh, biting our nails, going into the last group game and uh, trying to get into the knockout stages. Well, this is different. We've not played at our very best yet, and we're four points, as you say, and we've already qualified. So I think Gareth, you know, will tinker with the side a little bit. It gives him that scope to actually uh, tinker, and we might see a slightly different team than 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 uh, he would have put out if we had had to win and we were under that immense pressure. Yeah, I mean, so, what is what is that pressure like, Glenn? How is it different, say, from being a club manager when you're when you're in charge of the national team? Because people look upon it really as more than just a football job, don't they? Yeah, it is. I mean, when it comes to a tournament, you know, Mike, it's uh, a Euros or a World Cup. For six weeks, you're more important than the prime minister. Your decisions you're making, the whole country is is looking at and they're uh, analysing and their hopes and dreams are on your shoulders and the players' shoulders. So it is that big, you know, it really is. Mm. And um, you have to keep a cool head. And I think that's where Gareth has got that sort of cool head. I had him as a player in 98. Right. Uh, very astute, but very calm sort of player. That's how he is. If you lose, he's not going to worry too much and he doesn't go over the top if you win. And I think that's what the squad needs. Right. And what about tonight? What's he going to miss uh, about not being able to pick Mason Mount and Ben Chilwell? I mean, the papers today were saying it's all chaos now. Uh, everything's been thrown up in the air. Um, he's going to have to change, presumably, his his, uh, uh, his plan. Well, he'll have to he'll have to change, and I think he, I think he's going to change anyway for this game. If I'm honest, I think he'll tinker with it, as I say, because we're already through. Um, I don't think it will uh, it, hurt um, hurt him too much. I think it might be an opportunity to put Jack Grealish in the side mm. straight in for Mount. Um, so I think we have got cover. Certainly going forward, I've always felt England's squad is a strong squad going forward. Our doubts is, is defensively. But um, no, I, I think it might be uh, in a situation where we'll put Grealish in, which I think, you know, anyone going to the game, all them fans going into the stadium, I think we'll want to see... Uh, Jack start if he can and I think this is a great opportunity for Gareth to yeah, start exactly right and some of the criticism has come from those who say that you know people like Harry Kane are not getting the ball enough there's not getting the service that he should be getting he's looking a bit sort of tired he's looking like he's not really quite at the races um, what was what, what do you think about that is is Harry 100% fit Harry, Harry's 100% fit he's just gone through a couple of games where he's been a bit sluggish let's be fair England haven't played anywhere near their best yet and neither is Harry. But mm. I think you know, if they create the chances, Harry will put the ball in the back of the net. You've got to look at 96 when Alan Shearer wasn't doing it, going into a tournament. Yes. And he ended up, you know, he ended up scoring against big games. The bigger the game and the harder the opponent, Harry Kane, you want him in your team. And I think that's where Gareth uh, understands that. You know, as we go in the tournament, hopefully we'll go deep into the tournament. I think Harry will get better and better. I really do. Yeah. No, no worries about it. And I mean, the roadway to the sort of say the quarterfinals and semifinals, where we're told there will be more people uh, allowed to go into Wembley. Uh, yeah. Even the final might even be like two thirds full, which would be tremendous. Um, can England go that far? Do you think? I mean, they've got a Germ the possibility of playing Germany, maybe, which is always a bit of a nightmare. Well, 
I think we I think we can. I think you know. I think it's about getting the momentum. As I said, it's not how you start a tournament; it's how you finish. It is more important in many ways. Mm. But I think the fact that uh, we might play more difficult opposition uh, if we win the group. But I think it's key to staying at Wembley, and I think it also spins off to the country, to the nation. I think by having fans and more fans at Wembley is a major advantage to us. I really do. And I think also if you can't get to the stadium, then go. You know, going to the pub. Going and watch the game to the pub and having that good feel factor like we had in the mm. World Cup. You know, uh, I think Green King Research tells two two out of five people want to watch things in the pub. Yeah. And I think having the squad, having that that sort of feel, that feel-good factor with the nation, um, which we had in Russia, is important. And I think, you know, more fans at the, the stadium to get the atmosphere going, I think the squad will respond to that. They know how big it is for the... Uh, for the you know for the country to get behind the England team and let's be let's face it we've had an awful time with this pandemic. Mm. It's wonderful that they can go in the stadium. It's wonderful that they can go and watch it in the pub and be together. You know, set aside your club your club side and, and come together as as one with England. I mean, that was one of the great things about seeing the Scots in London, even though um, they left a bit of a mess behind them in Leicester Square <laughs> um, and you know caused a few problems. Um, and there were some rather funny videos going on. It was just great to see a crowd of football fans enjoying themselves, wasn't it? It certainly was, and it made a great atmosphere. You know, only 22,000 there, but it was brilliant. Because also, you need not just one set of fans to make an atmosphere in a stadium or even in a pub. You want you want that sort of that response mm. against each other. As long as they behave and they're okay, and unfortunately, you know, it, it was they're all well behaved at the stadium. I remember the times when the Tartan Army came down and, and got on top of the crossbar. Took the, and took the crossbar. And, I mean, I, I actually know people in Glasgow, Glenn, that have still got some of that turf <laughs> in, a, in a little glass case. They've still got it. They've never, never given it up. <laughs> absolutely. Probably got the crossbar as well. They probably have some of them. Yeah, absolutely. Who else have you have you liked? I mean, it looks like Italy, um, France, and, and now after their last performance, Germany um, are, are looking pretty strong. Portugal as well. I mean, who would England least like to meet in the next round, do you think? Listen, I think if we win the group, we're going to be facing Germany or probably Portugal. But yeah. I think if you're, going to, if you're going to win the tournament, you're going to have to beat France. Yeah. France is the best team in the tournament, in my opinion. Um, they've got such a balanced squad. Uh, there's some good sides out there, without doubt. Belgium, you know, I, I did fancy Italy to go to the final. Mm. Um, this was way before the tournament started. I think that they're a team now that have gone unbeaten for so, so long. I think it's nine or ten games and they haven't conceded a goal. So they're going to be dangerous as well. But England, if they get themselves going, if we, for me, to a certain degree, as I said, this tournament starts tonight for mm. England. It starts tonight. And if we start winning games, playing well, and get the momentum going, my word, you know, and the country get behind them, um, we could be on to something special. But it, it just concerns mm. me against the top teams, how we defend. We're going to have to defend well. Yeah, and Wales have done brilliantly, of course, again. Um, yeah. And what about Scotland tonight? What chance do you give them to, to get something out of the Croatia I, game? I, I give them a good chance because Croatia are not the team as they were, you know, in the World Cup no. when we played them. They're an ageing side that have just sort of gone over the, over the hillside a little bit. I think Steve Clark's done a fabulous job. He really has uh, done a great job with this the set of players that he's got with Scotland. He's got them organised. And I think, you know, the fact is a strange one. The fact they haven't scored yet in the tournament, yet they still actually can mm. qualify 
is is going to make it a massive again fans at Hamden I think it's you know it's a great opportunity for them to qualify mm. no I think so well Glenn we'll be watching it tonight thanks very much indeed for joining us good luck uh, Glenn Hoddle their former England manager giving us his verdict uh, on what's happening tonight what will happen it has been a very exciting tournament I mean I've enjoyed it more than I thought I would to be honest um, but actually not so much the England games as all the other ones to be honest because they've all been terrific many of them uh, Denmark last night was extraordinary great game um, against Russia absolutely tremendous Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show, 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB, online, or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000, or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.